Well, let's get out our Bibles today, and let's get ready for some Word. Good to see Pastor Allen back over here. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, but just got back from, if you don't know, he's somewhere over there in the other side of the world, where everyone has, a, all the guys have a beard. <laughs> Ministers to the Muslims out there, and uh, bringing the life of Jesus to them. We're thankful for his ministry. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans, the fifth chapter. Of course, you should notice on the back of your announcement cards that you get each month or each week, depending on how frequently you want them, there's a place to take notes. And I encourage you to write down things that God says to you, things that come alive, or even things that just, uh, well, everything I say. Write down everything I say. <laughs> and uh, I believe it. it. It's helpful, even if, even if you don't, you know, review it again and again. Sometimes writing things down is just another way to remember and help things get ingrained into your heart. Romans chapter 5, let's begin reading here in verse 6. It reads, For when we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And and, and so I want to continue today a, a new series of messages we began last week. The title is called True Love. Anybody ready for some true love? True love. Not to blave. No, not to blave. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'm going back to Princess Bride. I, it's this movie I saw many years ago and, and, and many times since. <laughs> All right, let me clean this up a little bit. True love is, is what we're talking about. Here to, he's clearly said to bluff, though, right? To bluff. No. No. <laughs> we want to, in this message, first and foremost, uh, understand what true love is. Okay? I, I think there's a whole lot of confusion when it comes to the very subject and the very verbiage of, uh, of love. And people use it and throw it around all day long. And many times it's just, it's so watered down. It's so far removed from the genuine article of how God loves us. And, and, and so we want to get the, the definition cleaned up. Um, is it, is true love finding that one person that will make you happy? You know, is it, is it what we allow Hollywood to define for us in a movie? Or should we look to the author of love? Should we look to the one who is love personified? I say, let's look to the Lord. Let's look to Him and have these things defined and illustrated before us so we can understand both how God loves us first and foremost and then how that love can trans, uh, be transferred through our lives and towards others around us. You know, First John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. He, 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 what? he is love. It's not just something He does. It's not just something He tries to do. 
It is his very nature. It is who he is. Think about it for a moment. If God is love, now everyone who has been born again has been born of God. Wow, that says some pretty strong things about us. That we must be love. Do you know your character, your, the nature of who you are in Christ? You know, we're spirit, soul, and body. Let's take soul and body out of the equation because they're a work in progress. But, but spiritually, we could say this thing about our very selves as well. That not only God is love, but because I'm born of love, now I am love. Wow, I am the very love of God. If you've been born again, you are the love of God. And so to live life inconsistent with our character and nature, who we are, produces great frustration, produces much dissatisfaction. But if I can not only understand what lo- the love of God is and, and, that, and, and, and see that I am that very thing and then live that out, it's going to be natural to my life in Christ to who I am as a spirit being, okay? And so this is something that's vital. Without it, we're going to be frustrated because we're acting and living and thinking contrary to our very own nature. But again, God is love. He didn't just invent it. He is it. You know, John three sixteen. everyone knows that, right? God so loved, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? Whoever believes in Him is not perish, but have everlasting life. But for God so loved the world that He gave what? His only begotten Son. Any parent, think about that for a moment. I mean, this is, this is love defined right here. God gave His only begotten Son. What did He give Him up for? He loved us so much. He wanted to save us from all of, of sin and hell and sickness and all the pain and all the problems that we deserved. And he did it by giving up his son, but not just his son, uh, you know, send him on a, on a little mission to, to do some things. No, to be tortured. I mean to suffer brutally at the hands of those for whom he was dying. I mean, this is, this is love. Any parent thinking about giving up their child to, to that extent, I mean, man. This is where we can see. This is where it should become very clear for us what the love of God is really all about. And so, I I said it before, but I want to keep bringing you back to this, that the greatest expression of love is Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. That's how we see love. We don't see it in a movie. Don't see it in an emotion. Don't see it in in, in some of these things. We see it in Jesus on the cross. Because how many know He wasn't forced? Someone said, well, they crucified Him. How cruel. I know, but He gave Himself up. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 10, He said, no one takes my life. He said, no, no one forces me, I'm paraphrasing. They're not forcing me up there on the cross. They're not, not going to force my life away from, from me. I'm going to lay it down. This was voluntary. It was completely by choice. And so, um, and so he laid his, his life down. Now, now, if we think about this, since God is love, doesn't just act in love, he is love. And since Jesus is, was, you know, God in the flesh then Jesus, in His life, is love, is love personified. I can look at, then, everything that Jesus did and see an example, a demonstration of what true love is. I can definitely see it in Him on the cross, but I can also see true love in how Jesus ministered to, talked to, related to, how He dealt with people. And isn't people the biggest issue here? 
Not just talking about loving our pets, although, you know, kicking the dog might not be the love of God. Unless it was bad. (laughs) No, never mind. But primarily we're talking about people. Isn't that who we have the most trouble with? I mean, don't don't a lot of people, you don't have to raise your hand at all, but a lot of people think, I have a wonderful relationship with God. The Lord and I, we are just tight. We are so close. It's people that I cannot stand, and they give me the most trouble, right? A lot of people think that way, you know. In fact, that's why we're here. (laughs) You know, Amy has has always said, I think this is why God invented the local church, to teach people how to walk in love. It causes people to grow or run away. Because you and I have to deal with, we're going to get, we'll talk about forgiveness and that kind of stuff later on. But if we don't learn how to relate to imperfect people all around us and have a relationship, have an ongoing, unbroken relationship, we are probably not very mature. We're not growing in Christ. We can say, I just love the Lord. I'm just so tight with God. Baloney. Baloney. Yeah, see, the development of our own life and our own growth and maturity in Christ is demonstrated, is shown in how we relate to and forgive and, and walk in love towards other people who are around us. Not very happy about this, are you? I'll talk more about, about that another week, but I will not tell you which week. All right. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And so, uh, and so we can see in Jesus, both in his death and, of course, in his life, what true love really is. But the second thing was we must know, uh, after knowing what true love is, is we must know how to keep ourselves in that love. I, I want to show you again uh, Jude 21. Jude 21, we read, we read this last week, right before Revelation. Jude, just like the song... Right? Hey Jude. Just like Jesus sang. Um, <laughs> Jude 21. It reads, now this is a very important verse. I, I know we read it already. It says, keep yourself or yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Why would I be told to keep myself in God's love? First, it's my responsibility. Okay? Secondly, if I don't keep myself in the love of God, I won't be in the love of God. Third, I might see in this that I'm told to do this because of the likelihood that I would not keep myself in the love of God without a word telling me to do it. That means my flesh, the world around me, my, uh, the way I'm treated, the way I've been brought up, all these things factor in to the opportunity for me to be loved by God, but to live outside of that love. But I must keep myself in the love of God. You know, keeping yourself in certain things is a biblical concept, a biblical principle that is, is shown in multiple areas. Uh, sometimes some might think, well, we shouldn't focus on keeping ourselves. We need to focus on, on God keeping us. And, and no doubt in my mind that we should ha- you shouldn't have heavy focus on the keeping power of God, on His ability to sustain and hold on to us and keep and, and He'll cause us to stand and all these things. We should focus on that. But this is not a contradiction to that, nor is this 
in, in any way diminishing the finished work of the cross. Keeping yourself, you keeping yourself in the love of God is very vital. In fact, other scriptures that, that use that same terminology, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Think about that. Say, no, I don't need to keep myself pure. I'm pure in Jesus. Well, obviously both of those statements can be true at the same time. I am pure in Jesus. I am clean through the word he has spoken unto me. But yet I must, this is my part of the equation, keep myself pure. If I don't keep myself pure, yes, I'm pure in Christ. But in my soul and in my body, I may be everything but pure. Everybody with me? And that could bring great harm to my life and hinder my relationship with God. 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do what? Keep yourselves. Ah, no, I'm just trusting the Lord to keep me. Well, both parts of this equation are true. God has keeping power. He, ha- he has the ability to hold on to you and sustain your life. But keep yourself away from certain things. Is that a good word? Is everybody okay with that? All right. See, this is, this is something we should all be aware of just as, as, as decision makers. We're making choices every day. I choose to keep myself in or out of various activities and behaviors and thought processes and beliefs every day. And if I let myself be a passive person, like pushed by the waves of the sea, like a boat just being floating along with no sails or no engine, uh, well, I'm going to end up in a place I don't necessarily want to be. Okay, this world will send you down the wrong path. But if I make choices, if I decide to go certain directions, then I can end up in the will of God and the blessing of God and happy about it. Praise the Lord. And so uh, and so these things are important. I want to continue to define now what the what true love is. Look with me at second Samuel today. Second Samuel, the 13th chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 13. So far now, I've just been monitoring what's been going on in the service, and I'm preaching better than you're listening. Okay? I just wanted to give you a heads up. We've been monitoring the whole time, and and so if you want to catch up, it's not too late. All right? 2 Samuel chapter 13. Notice with me in verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Am- Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Everybody say, loved her. All right. So this is Absalom had a sister, and then Amnon, the son of David, obviously that this makes uh, Tamar his half-sister, right? Okay? Says he loved her. Now, now, you'll find out as we go, we're not talking about the love of God here. We're not talking about true love. Verse 2, Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. Now think about that for a moment. The kind of love that we're defining and the kind of love wherewith God loves you and me is not the kind of love that makes you sick. Okay, If you find yourself being engaged in, in and you become love sick, uh, back up. Back up, because you do not want this this kind of so-called love. God did not, God is not sick over you. <laughs> we ought not be sick towards each other. I just love you so much, I'm sick about it. 
Do you need a pill? What, what? <laughs> we need to get this love out of you. Okay. And uh, let's see. Where, where are we at? Oh, middle of t- number two. For she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. All right. Verse three. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Aren't you glad your name is not Jonadab? The son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. Is this going in a good place here? Very crafty man. That doesn't mean he shopped at Hobby Lobby. All right. Crafty. My wife is crafty, but not like this guy. Verse 4, and he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Again, is this what the love of God produces? Frailty? You won't eat because you're sick? No. Will you not tell me, Amnon said to, to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. You do? You love her? Did he love her? Well, in his way of defining this, he kind of loved her. And, uh, well, if we go on, in fact, let's skip down just to take, take a little bit out of this because he basically, they set up a scheme where she would bring in food to him and he forced her. Nowadays we call that rape. All right. And he ended up doing this. And how many know that's not the love of God at all? Not nothing, nothing even close to that. Verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice. Okay. Well, let me, let me, let me back up here. She was shamed and, uh, well, let's just go over verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice and being stronger than he, he forced her and lay with her. Verse 15, then Amnon hated her exceedingly. He did what? He hated her. Now, one, one minute, he loves her. A few minutes later, I think that's all it took. He, uh, he hated her. Do you see that God is not, God, the love of God is not this way? He's not one minute loving on you, love you, and the next minute he can't stand you. That is inconsistent with how God relates to and treats us. Also should then be, if we're truly operating in this kind of love, it, it is not the way we're going to be treating other people. One minute we're nice to them, the next minute we're mean. One minute we love them, the next minute we hate them. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, Arise, be gone. That's so, I mean, amazing. One minute he's trying to find a way to get get uh, Tamar close to him. And shortly thereafter he's trying to get rid of her. He puts her out and doesn't even want to have anything to do with her at all. Again, why do I, I bring this to your attention? This is an illustration of what love is not. This is not Jesus in his, in, his, in his life or on the cross. This is not the Father toward us. And likewise, when we learn from this, we'll see if we're behaving in any way towards another person that emulates any part of this, we have removed ourselves from abiding in and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Okay, now true love, you can see, I know this is graphic and this is an extreme example and we can all recognize this without, you know, further explanation. 
But let's back it off a little bit, okay? True love does not force people to do what you want them to do. In any way, whether it's an extreme case like this or whether it's just in minor things, true love is not forcing people. God is not forcing you. You know, if you ever are are pushed or driven, you know, forced into a certain direction, you should more quickly think, this is the devil coming against my life as opposed to Jesus because the Lord is our shepherd and a, a good shepherd will not force people, he will lead people. He will say, come on, let's go this way. This is the way that you should go. Whereas the enemy wants to force, he wants to drive. Okay, the love of God is not demanding, it's not forcing, uh, but the love of God is, it will lead us in the way we should go. 1 Corinthians 13 and 5, you remember we read this some already, but it says that, that about love that it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked and thinks no evil. Notice that phrase, it does not seek its own. The the New Living Translation of that says, it does not demand its own way. Okay, this is a characteristic of how God loves us and how that love can, can stay and remain in our lives. We are not demanding people. We are not demanding our own way. I'm glad that the Lord is gracious and kind toward us. But, you know, so many people, they call things love that really are not love. You know, it's like the... It's like the guy who wants to pressure his girlfriend to have sex because he loves her. Well, I love you, and I just need, I need to express... That's, no, that's not, not even close to true love. That's not close to true love where a person pressures someone else to do something. That, that's just called lust, and it's, 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 it's done in the name of love. You know, it's it's this concept where someone someone looks a person in the eye and they they, they say very sincerely and very, trying to be anyway. They say, "I love you," but really, what they mean? They mean just the opposite of that. They mean, "I love me," and they really should correct their language because they don't love that person. They love the what what that person can do for them. They love the way that person makes them feel. And it's a, it's a manipulation, a twisting of the love of God. God doesn't say He loves us and, and the whole purpose is to try to manipulate this, to try to get something out of us. He loved us and gave His Son. And when we are truly abiding in this kind of love, it is not about what we can get from someone. It is about what we can give to them. Come on, somebody. And so, and, and so that's not love. It's just lust. It's no basis for a long-term relationship. You know, I'm surprised sometimes. I, I mean, I guess I, maybe not surprised. I understand living in this world and, and, and living in, uh, you know, a sin-filled world. But, but so many times, love, like I said, love is called so many things and it's often put in a, in, in a sexual arena. And, and, and I think for a woman, for a single woman who's, see, who's seeing a man and, and, and he's pressuring and it's, he calling it love but just pressuring her to do certain things, I think that's one of the, because the, usually it's initiated on the man's side. I'm not saying always, but, but oftentimes that's the case. I, I think it's the, one of the wor- dumbest things, if I could just say it that way, in the world for a woman, a, a single woman to give in to that. Because, you know, it's like, nowadays it's so encouraged, you know, marriage rates are on the decline. 
less and less people are getting married. More people just shack up. And you know, what's the, the, what's the common stereotype of a man is, is that he doesn't want to commit, <laughs> right? And a lot, of times that's, a, lot, a lot of times that's the case. He don't want to, doesn't want to commit to a woman. And you know, a lot of women are helping that out. They want, to, they want to get married. They want, this, they want this guy to marry him. But yet they're giving him the whole shebang before he even gives any kind of commitment. Everybody with me today? I mean, why would he bother? He already gets the whole snack bar, huh? You know? I mean, he already gets everything. Getting everything, all the perks and benefits of the marriage without having to make a commitment. Just a thought. You okay with little side journeys like this and just kind of side notes? And we're still talking about the love of God, though. And, uh, and we're talking about true love. True love doesn't demand. It doesn't force. It doesn't pressure. It doesn't insist on its own ways. Um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the things we like to do around here in some of our, uh, in some of our classes and, is, is help people to discover their, their strengths and their, the areas that, in which they can grow and so forth. And, and many of you have taken uh, some of our, our tests like we use this DISC test test to uh to test personality uh personalities and and so forth and and find out where someone naturally gravitates and so forth and 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 some of those things can be real helpful they can be real helpful in in this regard if people see them as a tool to grow to see hey i'm kind of low in this area this is not this is how i naturally respond to people and circumstances and all that and i could step it up in that area and really become a more well-rounded and and more mature individual and they can be very helpful in 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 that regard but uh you know one of the negatives that 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 happen in, in some of these situations is people use it and they discover and they say well i'm a hmm and they give their letter you know, I'm a D, I'm an I, I'm an S, I'm a C. I'm a, I'm this, and because of that, you are supposed to treat me this way. Because I'm this, I only respond to this type of treatment, and so you have to treat me this way. And how many know you missed the point of that test? Really did. Because what happened is they use it as an excuse to demand certain behavior out of everyone else around them. And if you don't recognize that I'm a C or I'm a D or I'm a I or I'm a S and then treat me accordingly, treat me appropriately, then there's a problem with you. Instead of, it's not about me. Because how many know that's what the love of God is about? It's not about me. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I want. It's not about, it's what can I do to make your life better? How can I, how can I increase you? How can I improve your life? And I tell you, that's what the love of God is about. That's the way He's relating to you. You know, He lets us get off the hook so many times, it's not even funny. You know, there are so many things that we, that we do, that we think, that, or we, um, we skip doing, we avoid in life, and He never says a thing to us about it. Just a thought. I mean, I think if God were to call us on the carpet for every little thing that we did that fell short of His perfect love in every way, it'd be a long day. But in His love, He's given us a break again and again and again and not even talking to us about it. I mean, over time, I believe He does deal with us by His Spirit to help us to grow. But he's not bringing everything to the forefront right away. I mean, think about it. If the day you got saved, 
I mean, you didn't know a thing. All you knew is, man, God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me. And, you know, whether it was in a church service like this and you raised your hand and got saved or, or it happened some other way, you, you received the Lord. And from that moment on, the Lord started pointing out everything that was wrong with you. Because how many know there's a lot wrong with you? I mean, the only thing you have going is you have a belief now in Jesus as your Savior and as a forgiver of your sins. But as far as your character, as far as the way that you think about things, most of it's wrong. Most of it. And God doesn't jump on your case the next day and say, you need to straighten up. You need to knock off these 25 things. And and after breakfast, we'll get to the next thing. You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot that could happen, but God is constantly letting us off the hook in His great love. And this is what we do for each other, right? If we're keeping ourselves in the love of God, okay? You know, in, uh, I know in, in, in marriage relationships, by the way, this is my marriage seminar too. In, in marriage relationships, there can be a lot of, um, good things that come out of teachings on marriage or marriage seminars or or things of that nature that help husbands and wives know how to relate to each other and and love each other and and, and so forth one of the one of the downsides that that has happened and can happen in these contexts is a husband will or let's say it the other way first a, a wife will will be listening and hear about some other husband that does certain things for her on a regular basis. You know, uh, husband and wife are in a, in a meeting listening to some good teaching on marriage, and there's illustrations given, and nothing wrong with these, by the way, but how so-and-so, he brings his wife flowers every week. And the women go, oh, what a nice man. And uh, and he brings her flowers every week. And this wife sitting there, she she may not have had flowers for the longest time and didn't really care about it, was not unhappy about it. Their marriage was good. But now, all of a sudden, expectations go up. Ah, see what so-and-so does for, for his wife. <clears throat> How come you don't do that? And what happens is then there comes in, there, there sets in her heart a disappointment. There comes a greater expectation. Yeah, a real man of God, a real husband, he would do this for me because that's what so-and-so. See how this is wrong? Is the bringing the flowers wrong? No. Is the guy who does it, if his wife loves it, to be commended? Absolutely. But should the wife then expect... When she was perfectly happy before, all of a sudden him to do all these things for her. That's not love coming from her. And it works vice versa on the other side. You know, a husband may hear of a wife that does certain behavior. And it's just an illustration. And it might be helpful. It might be a good tool to implement. Here's of, uh, a husband hears of, his, uh, of some other wife who all, you know, wears lingerie and stuff a lot or something like that. You know, <laughs> and he hears about some other wife doing something for her, for him on a regular basis, and then he immediately transfers that to his wife, and he, and he begins to expect, because she was in the same meeting, and she heard the same thing, right? So he begins to expect her to do what this other lady does, when he was perfectly fine before everything was good. Uh, you know what I mean by this? See, it, it's this love that, that, that's really not true love. 
See, it's placing high expectations and high demands on other people. And if you don't do what I think you ought to do, I'm disappointed. I'm probably going to let you know about it. Say amen if you can. See, love doesn't put demands or expectations on others. Demanding from and pressuring others really is one of those things that shows an absence of faith. If I'm constantly just demanding uh, things of people, I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting my own ability to manipulate, to twist, to, to force other people to meet my needs, to, uh, to do what, what I think is necessary for my life. And, you know, those who are in sales, if, you, if you're in sales of any kind, and you're a high-pressure salesperson, well, you're also not a faith person. Because if your trust is in God, you can sell trusting in God's favor and grace to give you the right words, to do a good presentation, but to bring customers to you. But if you're high pressure, twisting arms, and everyone leaves you feeling like they, you know, just got raped or something, you know, they just got beat up by the, I bought all this stuff and, and I didn't want to buy all this stuff, huh? That's not the way that that's not the way that kind of stuff works. You know, it works in church. You know, sometimes uh, uh, if there's if you ever been to a church where there's high pressure offerings, you know, give till it hurts, a little twisting of the arm, a little high pressure. We got to just kind of milk everybody for, for 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 every. Well, that's not faith. That's not faith. I don't like. I don't want to watch a Christian television program where I'm being milked for money. You know, all, all gimmicks and all kinds of high-pressure tactics and you have to do it and you have to do it right now and get on the phone right now because your, your miracle is hanging in the balance today and, and your children, your lost and wayward children, they're not going to be saved unless you give an offering today. And bah! Where's the faith? Where's the trust in God? I'm not opposed to someone telling me a genuine need. Put, pray, putting it before me, telling me be led of the Spirit, teaching on the Scriptures, that's all fine and good. But if it's high pressure, it's low faith. All right? And, and so if we're, if we're in relationships, or just whether we're talking about relationships with each other in church or marital relationships, if our relationships are about, you know, manipulation and pressuring and twisting and pressuring our spouses, our friends, our family to act a certain way, then we've left the love of God and we've left really living by faith. Remember, remember Galatians? Galatians 5 and, and verse 6 says, it, it tells us that the just shall, no, not the just, but it says that faith works through love. Faith works through love. It is believing and knowing how much God loves me that allows me to trust Him. And when I'm operating in the true love of God, this same thing is going to be the result. I am able to trust Him. Others are able to trust me. Come on. I want my family to be able to trust me. How can I do that? By loving them like Christ loved the church. By walking in this level and and degree of love. And uh, one of the outstanding, the most outstanding characteristics of salvation, of being a Christian... You know what? It's a word we sing. It's a word we say. It's the word freedom. It's the word freedom. You know, the love of God has been shown towards us so that we might be free. Free. How am I, how, how I going to relate to others? I should do so in such a way where they feel free. 
where I'm freeing them, not binding them up, not pressuring or driving them down, freeing them to live for God, to live their life. It's not an excuse for wrong behavior, but it is a freedom to grow. It is a freedom to expand and think and, and be used of God in many different ways. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, there's much more to say along these lines, but I want us to get a, I want us to start getting a hold of this thing that we oftentimes speak of. It is called love, but let's talk about true love. What is it? And how can I abide in it? How can I keep myself in the love of God. Amen. Stand up with me today on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to, we want to let God love on us as we respond and love Him. Amen. Uh, we'll minister unto the Lord here now through worship, through singing. And I encourage you, have a, re, have a connection with God. Not only sing. Come on now. Listen. Listen inside. Hear His voice. Let the Lord do a work in your heart today, and I'll be back.